Uh, this morning, we're going to look at Mary's Magnificat, her song of praise. And this praise from Mary is a response to a really important event. And so in order to appreciate the song, we need to understand the event, right? So let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. And I want you to begin reading with me in verse 39. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So Mary's praise is in response to this encounter with Elizabeth. And you remember, Mary traveled to visit Elizabeth because of the message of the angel Gabriel, who told her that her relative Elizabeth was with child. And so both of these women are experiencing a miracle. Mary miraculously conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth's womb was barren, was dead, and it came to life. Verse 36 tells us that she conceived a child even in her own old age. And then in verse 37, here's the key. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. So Mary travels to Elizabeth's home and they greet each other. And after greeting each other, Elizabeth says that the baby leaped inside of her womb for joy. And the scripture tells us that in that moment, verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, anytime you hear that phrase in Scripture, we need, you need to pay attention. And the reason is, anytime that phrase is used, it typically is indicating that God is up to something. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, when God raised up a judge to deliver his people, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Anytime a prophet would speak on behalf of the Lord so that their words represented God's word to his people, it says that the Spirit was upon them. So when it says here that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, what it's telling us, what it's alerting us to, is that God has something to say. And so it says that in a loud voice, Elizabeth said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, the reason this is remarkable is because Mary didn't say anything to Elizabeth about being pregnant. She, she didn't mention a word. In fact, she had just received the news herself only days before. But because she was filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth knew in that moment that Mary had been set apart for a divine purpose. She then asked Mary, how has the mother of my Lord come to me? Once again, Mary didn't say anything about her conversation with the angel Gabriel as he described who this child would be as, as God incarnate. 
She knew, however, what was happening. Mary hadn't revealed anything about the identity of this holy child, and yet Elizabeth knew that a miracle had taken place. She knew that in Mary's womb was the king of all creation. She knew that God would would take on flesh and, and dwell among his people. And the only way she knew this was true is because she was filled with the Holy Spirit and God had something to say. Elizabeth finishes by saying, Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. Again, before Mary had a chance to say anything about her encounter with Gabriel, Elizabeth knew that God had spoken to Mary. And not only that, she knew that Mary had believed what God had said to her. Before a conversation ever took place, Elizabeth knew every detail of Mary's divine encounter. And what she said validated everything that Mary had been told. Now we know why she breaks out into a song of praise. Right? Now, as a little side note, we often look at Peter as the one who first publicly proclaims the identity of Jesus. Remember that in the New Testament when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who stood up and says, you're the Christ the Son of the living God. And that's true. But what we see here is that Elizabeth makes that claim long before Peter ever did. And it was this profession that prompted Mary's song of praise. Isn't that amazing? So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning with expectant hearts. We are expectant of your Spirit's work in our lives in this moment. We are expectant of your return when you bring us into the home that you've promised and you've prepared for us. We are expectant that even in the midst of craziness and chaos in our world today, that you're up to something good. Because every good thing and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting shadow. Lord, we trust you. We love you. And so we ask you this morning, would you graciously Speak to our hearts through your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. As we've been talking about through the Advent season, uh, we've talked about how God knows how to show up and that his timing is perfect. We talked about how God knows how to speak up and his communication is crystal clear. And this morning we will see how God knows how to hold us up and his mercy knows no end. So I want us to look at five ways through Mary's song that she proclaims this to be true. So let's look at that together, beginning in verse 46. So follow along with me, if you would. In response to her encounter with Elizabeth, it says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, generations will call me blessed. First, Mary said, God holds us up by blessing those who serve him. 
she says her soul exalts in the Lord, that, that her spirit rejoices in the Lord. And it's a repetition of the same idea. And what she's saying here is that she's giving praise to God out of the innermost part of her being. The, the truest sense of who she are is praising God. You see, in our humanity, we don't have a soul. We are a soul. See, that's the part of us that is eternal. Everything else about us is temporary. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians, says, our outer man is decaying, but our inner man, our soul, is being renewed day by day. So Mary is singing this song of praise from the depth of her soul. And the object of her praise is the Lord God, her Savior. She's acknowledging all that she knows to be true. As Lord, God is sovereignly in control of all things. He has absolute authority over all creation. As God, he sustains all he has created with order and with purpose. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And as Savior, he is one who rescues and and redeems. And we need to understand that all that she is proclaiming, all that these attributes of God that are true are ultimately revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's where they come to life, literally, and we see them with our own eyes. So Mary is worshiping a God who reigns supreme, but he is not one who remains distant. It says that this very same God is the one who, as Mary talks about it, draws near to the humble. That he has regard for the lowly, even a bond slave like Mary. Now, that word bond slave here literally means one who is tied to another. Think about that. One who is tied to another. So, it's the idea of submitting to the desires of another person. Deeply connecting their will and purpose to become your own. We know that's true of Mary because she has surrendered her life to the will of God. We see that clearly in her response to the angel's announcement when she said, May it be done to me according to my word, according to your word. In other words, I'm tied to you. May your will be done in me. But this place of humility is not a place of shame. It's a place of privilege. She has the privilege of being used by God to carry out his divine purpose in the world. You see, in God's economy, being a servant is what leads to God's greatest reward, which is very different than what we see in the world, isn't it? In the world, we exalt the strong and the powerful. We idolize those with the most talent. We have shows named after it. We idolize those with the most money or the most success. But in God's kingdom, he says the first are going to be last. And the last are going to be first. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he said, Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. And we need to understand that is no small promise. Because what Jesus is promising here is that in the world he recreates the new heavens and the new earth. They will be populated only by those who are humble. People who 
are willing to become less so that he might become more. In the end, God reserves his greatest blessing for those with a servant's heart, those who surrender their life to his, those whose will is tied to his own. God holds us up by blessing those who serve him. But he also holds us up by showing mercy to those who fear him. Look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Mary understands that she has not done great things for God. She's way too young and inexperienced and and naive. But in fact, God has done great things for her. Because she needs a Savior just like the rest of humanity. God's mercy has been revealed to her as it has been revealed to us. And that mercy, she says, is upon generation after generation after generation. Mary quotes then from Psalm 103, which if you have not read Psalm 103, I would encourage you to spend some time there because the words are beautiful. Let me give you a taste of how that psalm begins in Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. See, again, we're speaking from the depths of our being. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not any of his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all of our diseases, who rescues our life from the pit, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. So let me ask you a question in light of what we just looked at. What is there to fear about a God who does that? Nothing. This is not a fear of God doing something bad to you. This is the fearful understanding of what will happen to you if God does nothing at all. You see, because only God can bring forgiveness. Only God can bring healing. Only God can bring redemption. Apart from his mercy, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's why Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5 is such good news. It says, but God, being rich, and here it is, in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. So the fear of the Lord is this idea of casting yourself willfully upon the mercy of God and trusting in him more than you trust in yourself. Mary understood that the only way that God can be reconciled with sinful man was through his mercy. And so she presents herself to that mercy knowing that she is received by grace. God shows mercy to those who fear him. But he also gives victory to those are humble. Let's see how she talks about that beginning in verse 51. It says, he has done mighty deeds with his right arm and has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. 
It talks about God's, the mighty deeds of God's arm. It's a, a phrase that's often used in the scripture when it's talking about God's strength. Okay? If somebody asked you, you know, if you were trying to tell somebody that you're strong, you might flex your arm right, to show them how strong you are. The same idea here, but here she talks about how God flexes his strength, if you will, by scattering the proud. He shows those who think they have life under control just how little control they really have. And notice, it's not just prideful actions. It's talking about pride in the heart. These are our hidden opinions about ourselves and other people. Our hidden motives about ourselves and other people. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked do not seek him. In all his thoughts, get this, there is no room for God. We see that being played out with Moses when he confronts Pharaoh and gives him the command of God to let his people go. You may remember in response to that, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And as we know, that did not turn out so well, did it? We know what God did to Pharaoh. He revealed his mighty arm through the punishment of the ten plagues. And in the end, Pharaoh learns that God's power far exceeds any of his own. Mary has seen how God has brought down kings from their throne and exalted those who are humble. We know that because in Israel's history, he brought down King Saul from his throne. And who did he replace him with? A little shepherd boy named David. But unlike Saul, David's strength was not found in what he thought about himself. David's strength is what he thought about God. He often talked about how God had delivered him from the paw of the lion or the paw of the bear. And so much so that in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when he stood before Goliath, he said, you have come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, meaning, in other words, your strength is in your hands. But then David says, I have come in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, the one whom you have taunted. In other words, your strength is in your hands. My strength is in his hands. God gives victory in our humility. He holds us up when we are humble before him. Look how she continues in her song in verse 53. She says, He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Here Mary is making a distinction between those who are self-sufficient and those who are God-dependent. Okay, There's a big difference here, so don't miss that. Those who are self-sufficient and those who are God-dependent. She talks about the rich, those who have everything that they want and yet are rarely satisfied. And then compares that to those who are needy, and yet typically they are grateful for everything they have, however little it may be. And I think there's more going on here than just a a physical hunger. And the reason I believe that's true is because the psalm that Mary quotes here speaks to that. If you were to look at Psalm 107, verse 9, it says, For he has satisfied the thirsty soul 
the hungry soul he has filled with good. So, so this is more than just physical hunger. This is a spiritual hunger. That's what takes place in the depths of our soul. It reminds me when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That's a, that's a spiritual hunger. You see, a hunger ultimately is a desire for something that you do not have and cannot obtain on your own. And we learned in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there's none righteous, not even one. So the, the hunger for righteousness is a need that we all have in common. Righteousness is something that we do not possess on our own, nor can we obtain on our own. See, the question is, how do you satisfy that hungry, hunger? Do we satisfy the hunger for, by trying to be self-sufficient apart from God, relying on what we can accomplish for ourselves, or are we God-dependent? Where we recognize, apart from God, we can do what? Nothing. Self-sufficient, God-dependent especially when it comes to that soul-satisfying hunger for righteousness, a righteousness that we do not possess on our own. That's why Paul says we can't find righteousness of our own. Why? Because it's the righteousness of God which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's something we receive, not something we can achieve. God holds us up by satisfying that spiritual hunger. But he also redeems those who put their trust in him. Look at how she ends in verse 54. She says, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now I want us to think about this. What has God spoken? What is the help that he has promised to Abraham and his descendants. And our answer needs to apply to every generation. What does every generation have in common? What need do we possess? We need redemption. We need forgiveness. Ultimately, we need Jesus. That's what we all have in common. That's the promised mercy that comes through the nation of Israel. And that's the motivation of Mary's song of praise because she understands that that has been fulfilled within the child that she now bears. Jesus is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who will save His people from their sins. Who will bring redemption through the cross. Mary gives praise to God for his blessing to those who serve him. She gives praise to God for his mercy on those who fear him, the victory to those who are humble. She praises God for his provision for those who are spiritually hungry and his redemption for everyone who turns to trust in him. This is Mary's song of praise, but I want us to understand, and this is true all throughout Scripture when we read it, Please don't disconnect yourself. This is Mary's song of praise, but in the end, it's your song as well. Because everything that was true for her is equally true for you. God doesn't change. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His mercies are new every morning. And His loving kindness knows no end. He holds us up when we serve Him. He shows us mercy when we fear Him. He gives us victory when we humble ourselves before Him. And He brings redemption when we trust Him. Everything Mary proclaimed is equally true for us. So last year, if you'll remember, I encouraged you as we looked at this passage to write your own Magnificat. Remember that? And some of you did that and you shared them with me and I was incredibly encouraged by what you wrote. It was such a blessing to me. So if you didn't do that last year, let me encourage you to do it this year. And even if you did do it last year, let me encourage you to do it again. And let me give it a little different twist to make it fresh this year. If you would, consider writing your own Magnificat, but let me ask you to to follow the outline that you have in your bulletin, that outline that we looked at from Mary's song. And so as you do that, you might ask yourself, what are the blessings that you've experienced by serving the needs of other people? How have you experienced God's mercy and what places have you seen him give you victory? Follow that pattern as you write your song of praise, but then do one other thing. Turn that song of praise into a song of prayer. Because maybe as you're writing, you realize that you want to develop more of a servant's heart. That maybe too much of life is centered around you and you need to spend more of life focusing on the needs of other people as more important than your own. So pray for that. Or maybe you want to learn to trust Him more. Trusting more in Him than you trust in yourself. Being less self-sufficient and more God-dependent. Then turn that into a prayer. Maybe there's a struggle in your life. Maybe there's something that this year has been difficult for you to overcome. Just a struggle that continues to plague you. Well, ask the Lord to show you what it means to see the victory that he provides as you humble yourself before him. Again, not in self-sufficiency, but in God-dependency, because just like David, you can't conquer your own Goliaths either. The battle belongs to the Lord. Do you trust him? Or maybe you've tried to be satisfied in all the wrong places, You need a spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied in Him. So ask the Lord to make that your heart's desire. And then finally, let me ask you to consider this. Do you see Jesus as your Redeemer? See, Mary's whole song of praise was based on the belief that that was true for her. So let me ask you, do you believe that's true for you? I want you to know that he has come for you. That's ultimately what Christmas is all about. It's the celebration that he has come for you. We can look at the announcement that the shepherds made, uh, or the angels made to the shepherds when they said, for unto you a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. And if the angel was standing here this morning, he would tell you the very same thing. So so Jesus has come to you for your redemption. Do you believe that's true? Like Mary did, and she sang about it.
So as we finish up this morning, we have the privilege of hearing a special song that I know is going to be a blessing to you. And I'm just going to ask you to sit back and listen and ponder the words of this song. Remember when we looked at another passage, it talked about how Mary pondered these things in her heart? I want to ask you to do that this morning. As you listen to these words of this song, I want you to ponder them in your heart, and I want you to consider how they apply to you, okay? So let me remind you again, that's your song. That's your song. And when you read Mary's song, if you're in Christ, that's your song. And if you're not in that place... (laughs) whether you're struggling with that whole concept or haven't even come to the place where maybe you've put your trust in Christ, let me just tell you this morning that he came for you, that he loves you. And he has revealed himself to you in a way that invites you to trust him. And so I hope that if nothing else during this Christmas season, with all the craziness and chaos going around us, that we can just settle our souls, that deepest part of who we are, our innermost being in the assurance of Christ's love for us, having been revealed to us, and as Barbara reminded us this morning, his promise to return for us. And we can look joyfully, expectantly for that day, and until that day, we can live in the assurance of his presence with us now. He has come for you. Please stand and let's pray together. Father, what a blessing to be reminded of this truth. May we not get so caught up in the busyness of the season, of the craziness of things happening in our world today that we lose sight of this most important truth. You have come for us because you love us and you ultimately gave your life for us and you are preparing a home for us and one day you will return for us. As we put our trust in you, we look expectantly, longingly, Lord Jesus, come. We thank you for that promise. And until then, may we live with the same joy and hopeful anticipation of your presence with us now. And as we celebrate Christmas with those that we know and love, friends and family, some of which may not have put their trust in you, may they see that soul-satisfying hunger that has been made real for us because of you. So Father, may we rejoice. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.